Hey, this morning, uh, because of the holidays, we're not having children's stuff. So parents, there are uh, sheets out in the foyer and colors and things if you need something to help keep your kid uh, together. But if you don't, it's okay. All right? So can we just all just breathe and it's going to be okay. There might be a little extra noise this morning. Um, my kids are here on the back row. Maybe that's for quick exit. Is that, is that the strategy today, Maddie? Okay. All right. Um, but if you need to go out to the foyer, there's a TV and you can watch there or you can go down to the nursery and you can watch there. So um, I'm not a big New Year's resolution kind of guy. How many in the room have made a New Year's resolution? Just quick, I need, I need participation right here. How many of you make or often or have sometimes made New Year's resolutions? Just, just quick show of hands. Oh, not as many as I would have expected. Okay. Now, how many of you have kept a New Year's resolution? Because I have like a full prize. Oh, wow, multiple. I was expecting zero because <laughs> uh, that's the stigma, right? Y'all kept New Year's resolutions? I want to hear your story after how. Not right now, not right now. Um, um, I'm not a big resolution guy, but I do always want to be growing and learning and uh, improving. And I think a new year is a good chance as we kind of take stock of our prayer life today, as Jesus is going to talk about it today. I think a new year is a time to kind of take stock of our spiritual life too. Uh, when you really boil it down, there's, there's really only a few spiritual disciplines and we can get fancy and creative and all sorts of stuff. But a relationship with God really comes down to a few things. Uh, reading, reading the Bible, spending time talking to him in prayer, spending time with other Christians in big or small groups, and worship. That's it. There's really, I mean, you can, there's others. There's fasting. There's solitude. There's all sorts of other disciplines. But when you really boil it down, that's it. Now, that's not flashy. That's not a fun New Year's resolution to put out there. Hey, I'm going to lose 40 pounds this year on Facebook, right? Or I'm going to run a half marathon. Or I'm going I'm to save up and go to Disney World. Or whatever your resolution is. It's really not flashy to say, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to gather with other Christians more, and I'm going to spend more time in worship. <laughs> There's really nothing flashy or fancy about that, right? We really like things that are flashy and fancy and kind of give this immediate result, right? We want to, we want to take a pill or do one little silver bullet thing and fix our whole life. But the reality is our spiritual life is described more like the growth of an oak tree that grows a little by little, year after year, deeper and deeper, year after year, weather storms year after year to create bark and shield it from the elements and become tough and strong. And eventually, over time, that little steady growth is described as a huge tree with shade and fruit and life and blessing to all kinds of people. And that's our spiritual lives. We want a, a quick, you know, throw the seed in the ground, magic beanstalk to the sky. But Psalms describes our life. Blessed are those who are planted by streams of water, right? And so I hope this year that as we begin to think about 2024 in your own spiritual life, um, that you'll think about your own spiritual disciplines. Um, let's jump in and read today. Jesus is going to talk about prayer in three different stories. This is Luke chapter 18. We'll be in verse 1 through 17. It says, um, And he told them a parable to the effect 
that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Wow, what a great description of her. Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Second story, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Third story, verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called to, the, called to him and saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Uh, Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word, God. And I, God, just forgive us that we neglect spending time in prayer with you. God, forgive me. God, that this morning as we read and we hear about your heart to, to hear our prayers and to respond to our requests and to welcome us into a relationship with you as, as little children, God, God, help us to take full advantage of that. God, help us to spend more time this year, not so that we can check it off or post it on Facebook or whatever, God, but that, so, that, so that our relationship with you would be strengthened, so that our, our hearts would be strengthened. God, I pray that you would give each one of us that desire this morning, that you would put that in our heart, God, to spend time talking to you, praying to you, and hearing from you, God. God, I pray that that would be on our list this year of things that we want to grow in and, and become better at, God. I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we study your word. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so there's three stories. Uh, and I, th- I think Luke tells them together. They're not told this way in the other gospels. I think he puts them together because he's, he's trying to highlight 
this theme of prayer. He's trying to highlight uh, how we should pray or lessons about prayer or, or wrong attitudes and right attitudes about prayer. You could say it a lot of different ways. But he tells three parables. And in the first parable, it's called the parable of the persistent widow, right? And he starts. And, and, and unlike many parables we've studied so far, many times we get to a parable and Jesus just tells a story and then at the end is kind of the punchline, and we have to go, okay, this is what that means. This time, Luke tells us right up front, this is the point of the parable. Look at verse 1. It says, he told them a parable to the effect, meaning that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He makes it very clear what Jesus was trying to teach them. This is what the parable is about. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. Or a bit more simply, don't lose heart, keep praying. Don't lose heart, keep praying. And, it, and the parable goes like this. There's, there's a certain city, and there's a judge, and there's a widow, right? Like many of Jesus' stories, he sets up two people, and they're going to interact, or they're going to do something together, and it's going to be an example or something for us. And the first one is this, this judge. He says that he neither feared God nor respected man. So he doesn't fear God. He's not, he's not a Jew. He's just a godless whoever. But when it says he doesn't respect men, it doesn't mean that he like, like thinks they're low. He means that he shows no partiality. He has no compassion, no heart for people, right? He doesn't respect them. He doesn't, he's not merciful as a judge. He's just letter of the law. Here's the rules. Follow it, right? So that's the first one. Verse 3, there's the second one. There's a, a widow, right? She's lost her husband. And apparently, I don't know what is happening in her life, but something is wrong. There is an injustice in her life. She's being hurt. She's being wronged. She's not being treated fairly. And she has no one to go to. She doesn't have a husband to take up for her. She doesn't have anybody. So she goes to the judge. And she cries out for justice. If anybody will stand up for me, maybe you will see the facts of my life and you'll stand up for me. And it says in verse 4 and 5, for a while, for whatever reason, this judge denies her request. You know, he has no mercy in his heart towards anyone, and not God and not, not men. And so he just keeps putting her off. He keeps putting her off. He, he, his ruling would have helped her. It would have solved her injustice. And what does she keep doing? She keeps coming. She keeps coming. She keeps coming back, asking and begging and, and pleading for mercy. And I don't know how many times it takes uh, for that to be considered persistent. Uh, I can tell you how many times it takes my kids to ask, uh, can I have another piece of candy, right? It's about three, right? That's when I consider it persistence, right? And they'll ask a hundred times if they need to until they get it, right? Because they really want that candy that was in their stocking. Why do we do this? Why do we do this to ourselves? I don't know. Okay. So this woman, this widow, keeps coming back and keeps coming back, and the judge is worn out. Eventually, he does not want her to come back. He doesn't want to hear her sob story anymore. So what does he do? He relents. He gives in. He finds he's the Grinch who finally finds a heart, and he gives in, and he gives her justice. In verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? 
Will he delay long over them? Now, Jesus is not saying here that God is like this unrighteous judge. He's not saying that he's bothered by our request. He's not saying that if you just keep nagging God, eventually he'll give you what you want. That's not the point. That's not it at all. Jesus is arguing from least to greatest. And he's saying if the unrighteous judge who doesn't even fear God has no compassion in his heart towards men, if he'll do this, Imagine how much more God will do this. Does that make sense? So he's not saying God is an unrighteous judge or this is God's attitude towards us when we pray. But if an unrighteous judge will hear and respond to persistent prayer, imagine how much God wants to respond to our cries for justice and mercy. Now, this is an incredible truth that we kind of skip over, I think. But God wants to hear our prayers. That's wild, that God wants to hear from us. He is not an unrighteous judge who is bothered by our request to him. He's not me on Christmas Day bothered by my kids asking for more candy. He wants to hear from us. He wants to respond to what we cry out to him with. And, and this is another truth that we kind of skip over and is, is even hard to understand sometimes. God is moved by our prayers. Not that God is changed, but God is moved. His heart, like this judge, is moved to compassion for this widow. His heart is moved when we cry out to him for things. Yeah, God is supreme. God is in control of all things. He created all things. He holds all things together by the word of his power. And yet, God's heart is moved by prayer somehow. I can't explain that. I have no basis to think that what I ask God to do, that he should do. But somehow, I know that that works. Now, prayer is also... Not us informing God of things he does, doesn't know. Like in this story, the judge doesn't know the widow's case, and she comes and tells him, right? God knows all things, and we believe that he is sovereign, but somehow prayer moves God's heart to compassion. He's not just a, a letter of the law, like get in line and do what I say kind of God. And so we need to learn from this that we should be praying Verse 8, he says, when, I tell you, when he, he will give justice to them speedily, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I think Jesus says this because it takes faith in order for us to pray. If we don't believe that God hears our prayers, God wants to hear our prayers, if we don't believe that God can do something about it, we will not pray. Why would we? Why would we pray to a God we don't think can do it or don't think he wants to hear from us or don't think he cares? We won't. It takes faith to pray. It takes faith to pray. So unless we believe, we won't pray. If we don't have faith that God will move, we won't pray. And maybe we should say it the other way. If we're not praying, it might reveal that we don't have faith. Right? If we're not praying, it means we don't have faith that God wants to or can or cares. And so I think there's an immense amount of wisdom to learn about this from this widow. 
The, the key point is don't lose heart. Keep praying. Why are we tempted to lose heart and stop praying? I just brainstormed a few. Maybe because we don't see immediate results. We don't get what we asked for immediately. We don't get the answer we wanted. Maybe we get an answer, but we don't get the answer we wanted. Maybe we lose heart and don't keep praying because we just, we just pray once and then we kind of forget about it. It didn't really matter that much. It wasn't really a huge concern of ours. Maybe it's because we get distracted by so many other things in our lives. So many other, just, we're just all over the place. We're, we're just scattered and we can't even focus on one thing to spend time being persistently praying. Maybe we, we lose heart because we stop believing. We stop believing that God cares. Or we stop believing that God can. Or we stop believing that God hears. That's, those are some of the reasons. But why should we keep praying? Why should we not lose heart? What are, what are some of those reasons? Well, first, God tells us to. Right here. This is a command. He says, don't lose heart. Keep praying. God, and if God tells us to do something, this is a fundamental belief about ours, about Scripture. If God tells us to do something, we believe that it's good for us, that it's right for us. So he says, don't lose heart. He wants us to pray. I think the reason God wants us to pray and not lose heart is because prayer forms us. It shapes us. It changes us. When we start praying for something or for somebody, even somebody we don't like or don't really care for, it starts to change us. And, and it shapes our heart to be more like God's heart. I think the other reason is prayer reminds us of our dependence. And that's one of the reasons he says to be persistent, to keep praying, because we need to be reminded over and over how dependent we are on God how we need him to move, how we need him to provide, we need him to protect. Now, I think of just a practical example before we move to the next story. This is taking a lot longer than I thought. Um, when we've been praying for the Breakthrough House for a while in our church, we've, we've started talking about this over two years ago. And, and there's been a lot of prayers, there's been a lot of work and money and effort given to this for a while. And I'll just I'll kind of be honest this morning, this is kind of a family Sunday. There were times not that long ago where in my heart, I had the thought, I, I don't know if this is going to work out. I, I mean, this is a good idea, but I just, I don't know. I'm not sure this is actually going to move forward. We just weren't getting the traction. We weren't moving forward with everything. But in the last two months, it's like a faucet turned on. And God began to answer prayers that we've been praying for a long time, and it's unbelievable, right? And, and thankfully, some of you didn't lose heart, and you kept praying. I think I might have lost heart and kept stopped praying. But God has moved. We've hired a house. We have a resident living in the house. We have another one coming very soon. And then there's like 17,000 applications that have come in, and it really won't be long before it's full. Like, I didn't see that coming. I was so tempted to lose heart not that long ago. That's why we keep praying, right? And just currently in our church, another place, we've been praying for a youth pastor. It's been six months that we've been praying for a youth pastor. And as a committee, we've prayed and we've gotten together and we've interviewed and we've tried to do, and, and it's been slow. It's been hard, not really moved forward like I want it to or like I think it ought to, right? And it'd be real easy right now to lose heart and stop 
praying. We, ha- we can't. We can't stop praying. We have to keep heart that God hears our prayers, wants to respond to them, and can. He's all three of those things. Now, in your life, you've got the same stuff. You've got things that you've been praying for, things that have been on your heart for a long time, things that, that you want to see happen in your family or with your friends or at your job or whatever it is. And maybe you've lost heart. Maybe you've stopped. Maybe you've pulled back because you're not sure God can or will or might. And so you've stopped praying. My encouragement today as we read this story is pick it back up. Continue praying for that. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Let's go to the next one, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So again, right up front, we get the point of the parable. We don't have to wonder what Jesus means. Luke tells us very clearly. He is telling this parable to address those who trust themselves and they treat others with contempt. Who might that be? The Pharisees, right? As as often is, right? But who else might that be? Every single one of us could be. And he tells this story to address their self-righteousness. Again, Jesus tells this story about two different people. And let's, let's look at it in a sec. But I think the main point he's making is this. Prayer is about God, not ourselves. If we make ourselves the point of prayer, if we lift up ourselves in prayer, or we just focus so selfishly on ourselves in prayer, then we've missed the point. Prayer is meant to be about God. So it says two men, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. This time, he's not arguing from least to greatest. He's making a comparison. He's, he's comparing right and wrong, good and evil, positive and negative. And as often is the case in Jesus' parables, there's an immense amount of irony or surprise. It comes out of nowhere that, that the person that is the positive example is actually the tax collector. So this one man is a Pharisee. He's a very religious man, very strict, very conservative, very by the book, as you can tell by his resume in a sec. And the other man is a tax collector. This tax collector is probably a Jew, and he sold out his own people to go work for the Romans and collect taxes from his own people so that he can become rich. He is disliked. He is ostracized from the Jewish community. And both of these men are going up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee gets there. He stands by himself, which would have been normal to stand and pray. And it would have been normal to pray out loud even. But we get the impression that he doesn't just pray out loud. He shouts. (laughs) He says it loudly for all to see. He wants everybody to hear his prayers. And what does he do? He basically recites Not all the good that God has done, what does he do? He recites all the good that he has done. It's it's not really a prayer. It's more of like a a job interview, right? He's, He's just promoting himself. He's just putting himself, I do this, I do that, I did that. I'm not like him, I'm not like her, I'm not like him, right? This is his prayer, which is a really, really sad prayer. But all he focuses on is himself, The other man, the tax collector, the ostracized one, the hated one by his fellow Jews, comes to the temple, and instead of proudly raising his voice, he won't even lift his head, and he beats his chest. 
He is moved deeply within himself. He knew his own sin. He knew where he had fallen short. And he's grieving. And his prayer is very simple. It's very honest. It's very real. It's very genuine. And he simply prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus tells us that the one who went home justified right before God is not the one who put out all his best resume, not the one who proclaimed how good he was. The one who went home justified, who is it? The one who cried for mercy. The one who knew his own sin, admitted his own sin, and called out to God for forgiveness. That's the one who is justified, not the one who rests on all of his good works. And Jesus makes this punchline at the very end, verse 14. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I think there's, very, there's a number of ways we try to make prayer about ourselves. We try to pray selfish, self-righteous prayers and not prayers that are focused on God. I think one way is we pray for our will, not God's will. We pray for what we want. And sometimes what we want matches with God's will, but sometimes we're so stubborn about, I need this or I need that, and if I don't get this, then you're not really God, or if this doesn't happen, then you're not really God. And we're so focused on what we want in our own heart that we pray that, not God's will. I think sometimes we even pray for things that are clearly against Scripture because we just want that. That's our desire, right? We, we pray for what we want, not what God wants, Maybe we, I've never heard any of you pray like this guy, but maybe you prayer, your prayer is, God, I just, you know how much I've done and how, God, I deserve this. And, and that is a wicked way to approach the God of the universe who sent his son Jesus to die for us. There's a lot of ways we can make our prayer simply a selfish exercise about our own selves. But that's not how we're meant to pray. We're meant to pray God-focused prayers like this, this tax collector who is simply focused on God. I think a few ways we can do that. Number one is we can be thankful a lot of, in prayer. We can offer gratitude because when we do that, we're recognizing, God, you've done this. God, you've given this. God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. We're recognizing him as the giver of all good things. Another way we can do God-centered prayers is to give him praise for what he has done. Another way is that we can pray humbly for mercy, for forgiveness, for grace, recognizing our own sin. And then I think lastly, another way we can pray God-centered prayers is to pray Scripture. Read the Psalms. Let it move you to prayer. Let it move you to pray the same thing that God's people have prayed for a long time. That's the second story, making prayer about God, not ourselves. Third one, last one, verse 15. Says now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. Right? This last one's not really a parable. It's, it's an actual story that really did happen. And Luke tells it in this context, I think, to teach us how we are to approach Christ, how we are to approach God. Now, in, in Jesus' ministry, as we've seen multiple times throughout Luke, his physical touch, his physical presence 
had something that none of ours does, right? The, the woman come and, comes and touches his robe, and what happens? She is healed of a lifetime of illness, right? So, so Jesus' physical touch was not only a blessing and love and compassion, but it had power, right? And, and so parents, and, and as word gets out, family members are bringing kids to Jesus. Why? So that they might get touched, so they would be blessed, Maybe they, so they'd be healed, all sorts of reasons for this. Now, for us, kids' and adults' interactions is different than theirs. In most of these ancient cultures, children were really a burden. And maybe you feel that too, so it's okay. Just don't raise your hand, okay? In their culture, children were a burden. Children were to be, what is the old phrase, seen, not heard? Is that right? Right? They were to be pushed to the side, and until they could contribute to the family, until they could offer something of some substance to the family, really, there wasn't a lot of value placed on them. Right? They need to be in the back. This is serious business. And this would have been even more true for adult males. Right? Adult males in this time, and this is true in Africa where we go, they don't interact with the kids. They really don't. Not until they reach a certain age. These, it just, it wouldn't have been appropriate for a rabbi, a religious leader like Jesus to be spending time playing with, hanging out with, loving on the kids. And Jesus' disciples, no doubt, saw this happen and they kept turning people away. No, you can't bring your kid here. No, he's not welcome here. Not right now. The rabbi's busy. No, he's got too many things going on. He can't see you. No, you, you gotta go away. And Jesus looks at this situation as his disciples are doing what they think is best. And Jesus looks at them and he says in verse 16, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus, as he has done over and over, he turns things on their head. He reverses things. He says, No, no, you say children are not important, and I say actually you have to be childlike in order to enter the kingdom of God. You you exclude them, and I'm including them. You think they're not important? I I think they're the most important. But he's not just saying, hey, kids, kids should be at everything and be all. That's not what he's saying. He's making a spiritual point, too. And he's saying that we need to be childlike in our faith if we're going to enter the kingdom of God. We can't come as mature adults who know how to do stuff and are are fully capable and prepared. No, we come as children, humbly dependent on God, crying out to our Father. Jesus says that all who will enter the kingdom will be childlike. They will have childlike faith and trust in their Father. That takes an immense amount of humility, right? So what, what is Jesus teaching us about prayer here? He's teaching us that we are to talk to God as our Father. Now, I know, I know for some of us, we did not have fathers who were the best example. Maybe we didn't have uh, good relationships, or maybe we just call it complicated, right? All kinds of sin issues or whatever. Maybe you don't talk to your father, so maybe this is one of the reasons prayer is difficult. But God is not like our fathers, God is not like our fathers. He's so much better, wiser, stronger. Every place that our fathers failed, God never did, right? We are meant to talk to God as the best father. 
Sometimes I think we're tempted to talk to God like maybe we would talk to our earthly fathers. And maybe because of the complicated relationship, you, you know, you kind of withhold things or you don't really trust or whatever. Maybe, maybe that's how you approach God. That's, that's not how we're meant to approach God. Maybe some of you view God as this kind of um, like impatient boss, right? Maybe how you would talk to him that you're just, okay, I got to get in there and get in my request real fast and, and then get out of his way so he doesn't, uh, uh, you know, look down on me or something, right? Maybe you think that your requests are kind of whiny or <laughs> overbearing or whatever. And an impatient boss, if God is like that, then yeah, he will get frustrated with you. But that's not who God is. He's patient. He's kind. He's loving. Maybe you view God more as kind of this distant ruler that you've got to put in this real formal request. And, and maybe, maybe he'll hear. Maybe he'll care about our needs and it's just kind of this lob, like maybe, maybe God will do something about this. That's not who God is. He doesn't describe himself as a, a distant king who sits on a throne and just waiting to strike us down. No, he describes himself as a father who wants to be with us. Bring the children to me. Maybe, maybe you talk to God as, as you talk to like just an acquaintance. And you tell him a little bit, but you don't tell him a lot. Maybe you just know they don't really care about me. I don't really care about them. So we'll just keep it at that. Maybe that's how you approach God. There's so many ways we could approach God wrongly. But he tells us here that we are to talk to God as our Father. That means we speak with respect, but we come boldly. My kids don't care who I am. <laughs> my kids don't care if I'm in a meeting in my office. My kids are bold enough to run into my office Give me a hug and ask for a piece of candy. It doesn't matter who's in there. Why? Because they're my kids. Now, I'll correct them and, hey, you've got you to come back later or whatever. That's the kind of way we should come to God, knowing we have access. He's my dad. I can talk to him anytime. I can call him. I can, I can reach out to him, and he cares. I think it also means that we bring our needs to him. He's our father. He wants to hear. He wants to help whether they're really big or really small, I'm so thankful I have my dad that I can call because there's so many times I go, Dad, I don't know what to do. I got no idea what I should say in this situation. I got no idea what I should do. And neither does he, but I still call him. Um, God wants us to bring those to him. He wants us to. And I think it also means that we, when he speaks, when we bring that to him, we trust him. He's going to tell us what to do through his word or through his community or through scripture or through speaking to us. When he speaks, we ought to listen. We ought to obey. We ought to trust. So sorry. Um, that's my signal. We're done. All right. Man, as we, as we look at these three stories today and we think about being persistent in prayer, not giving up, as we think about making prayer about God, not ourselves, and as we think about speaking to God as a father, not as some other distorted view of him, I want each of us to just think about our own spiritual life, our own prayer life, right? This year, I don't know how you pray. I don't know where you pray, when you pray. There's so many different ways you can pray. But I hope that you'll commit to growing in that this year. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your words. And I thank you that it gently teaches us and corrects us where we're wrong. 
It shows us the path forward. It shows us the good path and the good way. And so, God, we recognize this morning that you are our Father who loves us, cares for us, and wants to speak with us, wants a relationship with us. And so I pray that we would approach you that way with boldness, yes, because we have access to you, making prayer about you and your will, not ours. God, and may we be persistent. May we be steady and faithful in praying, God, bringing our requests to you because you want to hear them. You don't get tired of it. You don't, you're not worn out by our humanity. And so I pray that we would be a praying people this year, God. We love you. We need help. So we pray that you'd give us that help. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.